Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast in which two lifelong friends and film fans sit down and talk about movies that they've never previously discussed. So today's pick is actually a Dan pick uh, to break our recent theme, which is Take Shelter, starring Michael Shannon and Jessica uh, Chastain from 2011. Uh, We haven't even, I I don't even know if Dan liked this movie, honestly. We watched it totally separately. So let me start out, Dan, what were your impressions of the movie? Sure, this is, and also just give a shout out to the director and the writer, Jeff Nichols, came out 2011. So this is, as we've been thinking recently about films about our current situation and about the lockdown and the pandemic, um, I thought to myself, how about Take Shelter? I remember seeing it when it came out. I remember a lot of it. I remember really, really being impressed by it. And I remember the basic theme. So I thought, well, this might be a good one to do uh, with our current time in history. So I suggested it to Mike. And uh, all I know is Mike, all I said to Mike is, I hope you loved it or I hope you hated it because the podcast will be better. So here's what I thought about seeing it for the first time since 2011. I think it's brilliant. I think it's great. I think it's got a perfect script. I think it's beautiful. I think it's, it's about a subject you never, ever see dramatized this well. Uh, you never see you never see this in a movie uh, unless it's going to be um, cute or um, the su- or somebody has a special quote unquote talent or something like that. But I think that it's 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 a stomachache of a movie. It's not a, it's not a fun Saturday night movie. Um, I, I I think the performances are great. I think I think every single scene is perfect. I think it's brilliant. And then I can get into that and why. What do you think? So let me just start by saying I really really enjoyed this movie. It made me unbelievably uncomfortable um i think uh, as far as issue movies go this this strikes me um i if i were like reviewing it for the times i would say that that the subtext of this movie is very much um, a mental health discussion yeah um but that said i can't think of a movie that dramatizes it uh dramatizes things better and i think better than that, that as a viewer uh, the way that that the discussion in the movie works technically uh, is by slipping in between the subjective consciousness of of the character and the diegesis. There's no, I don't find any other uh, dreams in movies as convincing as the dreams in this film. They are unsettling. Uh, they are disturbing. They come on you without warning. They come on you 
the same way that um, certain certain stanzas of music are are uh, revived, like in a blues song, with uh -huh. with variations. Um, yeah. And you're you're not ready for them, but then you you go, oh, okay, he's dreaming. But then it's the um, the essentially the iconography of his dreams is the same is so consistent yeah. from dream to dream that you also know what's going to happen, but you're filled with dread. Yes. The only time and I'm totally with you and I'm so glad I'm so glad you liked it. It takes a lot of a lot of pressure off our relationship. Otherwise this would have been the last episode people. Um uh I think that you know dreams well, I've said this before dreams and films almost always never work for me. Um even the dreams in the conversation which we talked about earlier. I, that that dream sequence I think isn't as good as the ones here. And I think dreams and movies you're either going to do like a jump scare. Oh, it was a dream like in um, American Werewolf of London in London when she opens up the curtain and it's mm -hmm. still a dream or it's gonna be some weird symbolic thing that reveals, and these dreams are, are pitch perfect. You, all they reveal is how paranoid he is and how the, and how, um, the net of paranoia is, is getting him further and further in so that ultimately it's the people he's closest to that he's supposed to protect that he starts to become afraid of. You know, it starts with his dog, then with his friend, then eventually it's, you know, it's, um, it's Jessica Chastain. And I think that um, it's funny that you said about an issue movie because it never even occurred to me that this is a movie about the issue of mental health, air quotes, because the characters are so believable. It's about, it's about something happening to a person that he can't, that he knows, the, the horrible thing is he knows it's happening to him and it happened to his mother and he's trying to deal with it. I think also for me, this is, there's a lot of movies that are somewhat set in the past. My take is that this movie is set sometime in the 90s. There's a lot yeah. of binders. There's a yeah. lot of cash. Um, there's a lot of uh, phones uh, literally on the wall, which no matter how rural you are. Yeah, there's um, flip you know, phones, yep. There's, there's, there's flip phones. Um, the, I thought that the setting of this movie uh, was great yeah. and that there, but there's some kind of quality of this movie that it has to be set in the past for you which so this movie struck me as a dramatization of uh, one particular biblical story or one interesting interpretation of biblical story do you know where I'm going are you going to talk about John the Baptist no okay are you going to talk about the ending N no not yet okay go it it strikes me as uh as Noah right like it's it's you 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 get some kind of message that something's coming none of your neighbors believe you uh you're screaming and crying uh and and freaking out and then you know we'll get to the ending when we get to the ending right. um but it it struck me about halfway through or maybe in the in the scene which we'll talk about um where they where they go to the sunday dinner as the perfect uh, dramatization uh, of that story making it real yeah, that's that. Now that's a great point. I mean, he only has one dog, not two. But I mean, um, that that's that's a great point. You know, uh, watching it now again, in a, you know, in our current situation, something that struck me about it was I think that the film dramatized something. I want to tell a little 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 thirty second story here. Something that I think a lot of parents go through. So when one of my uh, kids, when we found out he, we found out when he was uh, a toddler that he had asthma because one night he just couldn't breathe. That's how you find out. So we go to the emergency room. And the people there were great. And, um, you know, we, they said, don't worry, don't worry. This is something they deal with all the time. But for the parents, you know, you're like, you can't believe it. Oh, my God. You see your kid. He was in the, um, the NICU, you know, and, but the people were great. And now it's all fine. And now he's a regular, regular, you know, kid getting in trouble and doing all those things. Right. But it took me a long time to shake the paranoia of when I would check on him when he was sleeping just to make sure his chest was going up and down, just to make sure he was breathing the right way. Right. And my wife would even say to me, he's fine. He's just, he's fine, just leave him alone. But it takes a long time to, to, to logically defeat something illogical in yourself. 
Does that make sense? Like, like it, it, and I was able to do it, but he can't do it. And, and he knows that he can't do it. And even when I would check my kids breathing, even when my other kids were babies, like you look at them in the crib just to make sure, um, you know that you're being irrational, but you kind of like write it off. Like, oh, this is just parents, parenthood, paranoia and stuff like that. And he tries to write it off. I'll take a sleeping pill. Now I'll take more sleeping pills but he can't and, 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 and he's so vulnerable that you, you instantly feel bad for him and you hope he can make it through this. That's brilliantly said. I mean, I will, I will say connecting to your story that uh, I, there was probably a point in my life where I would have thought that um, the image of the dad standing in the doorway, just looking and watching the breathing going, going up and down yeah. um, is some kind of, uh, exaggeration or dramatization uh, until it strikes me now that that scene is 100% fully realistic. Yeah, absolutely. Just drawn from life. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't wait to get into um, favorite scenes. So I think we should just move on to segment two. All right. I'll see you there. All right. So welcome back to segment two and our conversation about Take Shelter. Um, we, Michael, we, you always have a lot of favorite moments from the movies we like. What's yours in this one? So my favorite scene is when you see uh, Curtis laying out the chicken wire around Red's doghouse the first time okay. with no explanation. And a lot of the stuff that, that was coming subsequently in the film occurred to me, meaning um, the, the pain for him is so real that he's going to start acting out his dreams in real life. And I, I thought that, um, you know, again, I've seen the movie, um, you know, once all the way through, but as a first time viewer, I thought that that was such a, a beautifully dramatized uh, moment, you know, that you could you could have him say, "Hey, I think I'm going to take Red outside," or, or or whatever. But seeing the chicken wire, you realize that um, fantasies have essentially become a reality that they've started to bleed through for him, which uh, is is wonderful to me. And something I think that the film does so well is they set you up with wonderful premises so that when elements enter the film, you know exactly what they are. So case in point, um, a mustached guy shows up in Curtis's backyard, and you're like, "Oh, that must be his brother." Yeah. You know, based, based on conversations, he shows up at some lady's apartment and you go, oh, that must be mom. Yeah. And there's just, there's just seeds planted of premises that are then delivered on. And for me, the first of those moments was after he has the dream about Red and he doesn't want her playing with the dog anymore, that he puts the chicken wire up and you're like, oh man, as a viewer, I'm, I'm in for it now. And you're waiting for the next dream and the next dream and the next dream. Because you know you're only 20 minutes into it, right? And, and then Jessica Chastain says, but Hannah loves Red. And the best thing is he can't, you know, he can't, he can't articulate why he's doing it, right? I mean, you said before, like how perfect the, the scenery is, right? They're out in Ohio. How great is it that the lawn just ends in the backyard? I mean, that, that this was made before we had that phrase safe space, but that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to make that safe space for his family. Um, and it's funny you said that um, he's, his fantasies now, he's now acting upon his fantasies, right? His dreams are life. And my moment ties into that because it's when she realizes what's happening with the bank loan and all those things. And she slaps him and she says, um, are you out of your mind? Now, that's something that we say to each other all the time. Are you nuts? Are you out of your mind? What are you, crazy? I can't believe you did that, right? But the movie takes that question and makes it literal and it dramatizes it, right? So when she says to him, like, are you out of your mind? You know what he's thinking? Like, he, 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 yeah, I guess, but I, I can't help it, right? And that's why it's so painful, I think, when he gets fired and his boss says, um, you did this to yourself. And, and you, you, you're like, no, he didn't do this to himself at all. You, you can't even blame his mother. It's, you know, Robert Frost said, you know, tragedies when something terrible happens and there's no one to blame. There's no one to blame for this. He's not a drunk. He's not, a, he's not an addict. He's a good guy. He's got a you perfect got, gig. 
You got a good life, Curtis. You got a good life, Curtis, right? <laughs> well, he's the, married to the, 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 to the lovely and patient Jessica Chastain, right? He's got, he's got a sweet kid. He's got, um, the, when they tell him about the insurance, oh, you're very lucky. You know, his kid's going to get free cochlear implants, right? He's totally got it made. And he can't, he can't understand why he's, he's sabotaging it. Well, the, I, the, so beautiful for me is the scene where he wets the bed and he's just, oh. yell, he's just yelling at her because he doesn't want her to draw close yeah. to him. And that, that's really what, what it is. It's, it's inscribed, you've mentioned safe space. The only safe space is to be alone. He's inscribing yeah. a circle of one. And um, he, they dramatize him as a good guy or a goodish guy so well in the beginning that to see him purposefully snap so that she won't draw near to him is it's painful to it's watch painful, which is just yeah. is makes for good viewing and they're such good anchors that you totally believe that they never talk to each other that way like yes. you totally believe that that's good shocking point. for her that he and you know what else is great about when he pees in the bed and before you, you complimented the nightmares and i agree i've never seen a movie with better reactions to nightmares like when when you see him gasping for breath when he's like halfway, like you, when you know you're kind of in a dream and you're struggling to wake up, like you never see that in a movie. And it's certainly you don't see it as well done here. But back to what you said about the bed is that I think the movie's so fascinating because we think differently. We like as a, as a society, I guess, think differently about mental health than we do about physical health. Like imagine if the movie was about a guy getting like, uh, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or even, even some terrible incurable disease, right? I mean, those movies have been made. It's a different kind of thing. But he's more upset that she's going to find out he peed in the bed than he might, she might find out that there's something wrong with his mind. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's like, we think about mental illness differently than we do physical illness. Yeah. He's no Lou Gehrig. No, he's not right. This is right. This is not pride of the Yankees. Absolutely. Right. And it's not, his disease doesn't ennoble him. Right. It doesn't give him, um, it doesn't give him insight. It demeans him and breaks down every major relationship that he has and uh, exiles him from his community. And the very relationships that, that he's struggling to protect, that's what makes it even worse. It's not like his, 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 um, his hallucinations and his schizophrenia like turn him away or he vanishes, like his mother vanished, left him in the car. He ends up turning on the very, very people he's, he's buying gas masks for. Now, 100%, we have to move on to the end because the only, the only question remaining is, is it worth it? And what's going on in the last scene? So I will see, see you there. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, so welcome back to segment three. Uh, Dan and I have had, a, I think, a great discussion of this film so far. Uh, the stakes in this movie are obviously high with him alienating everybody that means anything to him in his life. So there's only one real question, which is, is this guy Noah? Is he... Is he accurately predicting a storm and nobody believes him? Or what's going on in the last scene? Dan, I, I need your take. All right. Well, as we know, the ante gets up. I think I, think I counted as I was watching this. There are seven or eight dreams. They each go up in intensity, right? Until um, you get to the, the part where the birds start falling out of the sky and he's running, right? Which reminded me of another favorite movie of yours, Magnolia, where the frogs come out of the sky, right? Um, or the toads, sorry, the toads. This anyway, does happen. Which does happen, which does happen, right? But my take on the ending is this. 
I, I would, I could understand somebody saying it's a tad too cute and that it takes something that you've seen about real people going through a terrible thing. It takes the power of that moment in the bomb shelter or the tornado shelter when she says, you have to open the key yourself, like you have to open the lock yourself. It takes all of that emotional investiture of the audience and turns it into Rod Serling. And it turns it into a Twilight Zone kind of thing. And for the sake of like, an, an because audiences like endings, they're like resolutions. But what the movie dramatizes is something that doesn't get resolved. It doesn't get resolved for his mother. You end up on like sedatives, I guess, and walk around in a daze. So the end, it might sacrifice everything that's gone before for the sake of drama. That's one take on it. I don't think that's the only way to think about it, right? What did you take of the ending? It's, it's either that they've, they've been pulled into his hallucination and that you can't tell anymore. And it's kind of like a, a, a quote unquote, more dramatic version of what we talked about in the conversation in the hotel room, right? Or I thought to myself, he really is Noah. Like he really is John the Baptist. And he was been given these visions. And, you know, at the Lions Club supper, they all, they all mocked him and he had to flip the table over. Yeah, my, my take is that um, he does have some kind of psycho, like the psychiatrist uh, basically says, this is not going to get resolved. And so my, my yeah. take on it is that the last scene is intended uh, to be a dream rather than a, a real storm that he's he's dreamt that they've gone on vacation because again to to your point there um the moment where he opens or unlocks the door has to be some kind of breakthrough where he is willing to admit in front of other people not like i wet the bed you need to leave me alone yeah. in front of other people that there's some kind of issue going on there in cup instead of talking to one counselor in a closet he's in some kind of couples therapy you know clearly yeah. to talk about what needs to happen in life but um, as we all know, there's no clean endings that way. You know, that this is a process. And so what I, I, I take it to be is that the point of security has moved like beyond his own person, which is what gets attacked in his previous dreams uh, as some kind of stand-in for the family it, to the actual family. And that he's dreaming that they're on vacation and that they're going to be totally overrun by the storm because they're separated from uh, the storm shelter. They've moved away from the shelter. You can't get to South from South Carolina to the shelter in Ohio in time to get out of the path of the storm. That's at least how I, how I read well, the film. I think the evidence for it being a dream at the end is that she says, okay. Like she nods when she sees the storm coming and it starts to rain the, uh, the goo, the brown motor oil. Like yes. goo. So in, if this were a completely objective reality, she wouldn't say, okay. Yes. <laughs> she would, like, oh dear, I take it all back. You know, it, it wouldn't work that way. But at the same time, I don't think, I mean, I hate this ending, like well, you're the viewer's supposed to decide, but I really do think, I think the indeterminacy of the ending is it brings you closer to him, but we don't know. I, I mean, it is, if, it, if he is Noah, then it's too cute. And then it trivializes everything that came beforehand. Right? Great. Um, but if he's not Noah, then I think that makes, I think, I think him not being Noah is more satisfying. I agree that it's more satisfying because that that scene um, where it turns from him trying to be a man in front of his boss or his brother into really the community. That's the dramatization yeah. is that he's supposed to be a man in front of the community and he freaks out. Um, and he, it, I think you're supposed to understand that his friend Delmer has a, has a bum knee and he's always known. So he yeah. punches him twice, like a straight up fight. And what he does is he kicks Delmer in the, in the bad knee, yeah. uh, you know, which is why his whole job is just changing the, you know, he's, he's operating the, drill, the machine yeah. versus Curtis, who's, who's out there with his two good legs. Yeah. Right. And the friend is responsible for all the drinking. So it's supposed yeah. to be the lowest of the low blows yeah. um, that he gives him. Um, yeah, I think if that if he turns out to be in some ways justified, 
um, that it's a little too clean uh, for me as a viewer. But on the other hand, there there is a storm coming um, in the sense that I think dis disruption happens in each and every uh, household as it as it goes along. Like you're supposed to understand from the way that Delmer's wife looks at him in the beginning mm -hmm. um, that there's that there's a, an issue with alcohol going on in that house, yeah. right? She she's bl her her standing there with her hand on her hip means. Don't you know better than to let yes. him just drink from two o'clock in the afternoon and not come home? Like, what's your problem? Yeah. Um, and this is what's going on in, in Curtis's household. And again, I, I don't think it has a clear resolution. He can open the lock. He can let them all out. He can have a moment of clarity where it, like, the, the, the severity of the storm of that tornado warning is the old couple across the street picks up their chair. Yeah. Remember, you see the old guy pick yep. up the chair, but, Couple he's branches. but he's perfectly fine. Um, and that this is, it's not going to stop. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliantly said. I mean, it's funny what you said about his friend's wife in the driveway. I mean, I think that's also in there to show you the contrast of their lives, that he's kind of miserable and he's got, he's got this wife who's waiting for him in the driveway, but he's married to Jessica Chastain. Okay, honey, let me go, let me go sew some more pillows and I'll take him to the right. flea market and everything's going to be fine. 1.30 a.m.? Sure. Yeah, that's fine, right? Uh, but but I, think, I think that's a great point, Mike, is that every house, when you go up and down that street, everyone's house has a storm coming in it. And how you deal with that storm is, is, you know, the essence of like, you know, what you're like as a father and a husband, right? What is, what is, um, what does Don Corleone say? Like, uh, you know, a man who does not spend time with his family is not a man. And that's what I think he's trying to do. And, and of course it's, 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 um, it's dramatic and it's, and it's, you know, uh, fascinating to watch. Not every house has this kind of storm of this magnitude coming, but it certainly takes common things and exaggerates them for the sake of our, 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 uh, you know, our, to let us enter into them. Listen, great pick. Um, thanks. thanks again, everybody, for listening. If you have not seen this movie, if this is one of the ones where we've covered or done a podcast, um, please sit down and watch it, you know, uh, before or after you listen to us, but uh, you won't be disappointed. Yeah, thanks for listening. Please listen to us and please listen. I mean, uh, obviously, please listen to our past episodes as well. You can get them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. 